0: You know what Greg was saying about um, the Greek words? It's just, I mean, there are so many surprises in that book. If, uh, if you can find the time to study and uh, wait on God for revelation and stuff. And, I mean, I am, I am. But He is so much more than that as well. And today, um, I can testify that He could say, I am. The best storyteller there has ever been. Um, We're going to look today at a part of one of of his big story, and um, it's so big that you can only look at little pieces of it at a time. But um, it seems like you know, when I was younger as a a Christian, you just looked at these little pieces. But the longer you kind of uh, that I've walked with God and you kind of start seeing how the story goes together a little bit more and more. And so today I hope that um, maybe I can help us all see a little bit more of that particular story. Um, The invitation, the Thanksgiving invitation, Mary has already alluded to that a little bit. But the Thanksgiving invitation this year and really every day is one that Jesus gave. Um, He said this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. It's a simple invitation. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You know, I got to thinking about that. You know, you can't make yourself thirsty. You're either thirsty or you're not. Yeah. You're either thirsty or you're not. You know, you can see something and say, wow, that really looks like people are enjoying that, but I'm just not thirsty right now. And we see that with people, don't we? Mm-hmm. Um, but Jesus said that at a certain time, you know, in 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 the history, and so today I want to look at the backstory behind all of that, so that hopefully we just appreciate what He said a little bit more and a little bit deeper. But um, the whole New Testament is an amazing life giving story in and of itself. We all tend to read more in the in the in the new, did I say Old Testament or New Testament? You said, Old. I meant New Testament. Okay, thank you. The New Testament itself, and that's tended to be where we start when we're a believer, and eventually maybe we get back to the Old Testament. But when the when the Old Testament is read um, and understood in light of the New Testament, it just makes the events of the New Testament so much more real, so much more full of meaning. Um, And so I find myself reading the Old Testament more now because it tends to help me understand a little bit better the New Testament. So everything seems to be a shadow. It's It's this, you know, we can tell stories, but God tells this story with such forethought that all the little things he... Talked about in the Old Testament, they they have meanings and shadows of meaning and foretelling of things much bigger than just the event that he's telling you about. Mm-hmm. And so today I want to look at the uh, just one of the seven feasts that um, that he these were these were God commanded his people to assemble these seven times, uh, and they were on the Sabbath. They were, um, let's see, I've got them written here somewhere. Yeah, the Sabbath, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we, we kind of think of as the Passover, um, the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Weeks, which we call Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those were the seven times that were God said, these are the these are the the assemblies I want you to observe so I want to look at the last one today um, the Feast of Tabernacles and so we're going to start in Leviticus and then we're going to go backwards a little ways and then we're going to go forwards a little ways and then we're going to end up in the New Testament where Jesus made this invitation so if you can try to stay with me that would be great Um, so if you want to turn in your Bible uh, it's Leviticus chapter 23 we're just going to read the first verse and then we're going to skip down to verse 33. Um, all seven of these assemblies are, are laid out in this particular chapter. So you can read them at your leisure um, and see what God required for each one. Leviticus 23. The first verse says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying... Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you will proclaim as holy convocations or assemblies. They are my appointed feast. And then he goes through and lists these ones that I've just mentioned. The last one is begins in verse 33, and this is what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and for seven days, is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You should not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation, for presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices and drink offerings on each of its proper day. Besides the Lord's Sabbath, and besides your gifts, and besides all your vow offerings, and besides all your free will offerings, which you give to the Lord. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, I'm going to keep reading here. When you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day a solemn rest. And you shall take on the first day the fruit of a splendid tree, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy and willows of the brook and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in Booth's for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in Booth's that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in Booth's when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feast of the Lord. So this particular feast was for seven days. It came just five days after the Day of Atonement. And um, as you can see, uh, the people, it was the last feast of of the Jewish year. So it was after all the crops were in, it was the most joyous of feasts. It was a feast of thanksgiving for them. Um, and it was held like in our calendar year this year, it was October 15th through the 23rd. So it's just passed. And um, it's really interesting to just follow the history of this because uh, we're going to look at that a little bit late, later on. But everything God ask of his people and everything he says it just wasn't haphazard you know it wasn't um, something that uh, it just came as a thought in his mind oh I think that sounds good let's do that everything had a reason Um, and so my question is like what is this particular why why this feast what was this one all about Um, and that question is kind of answered in verse 43 it's celebrated for this reason that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So, what's the point of knowing that? <clears throat> I mean, for people that just want, just want to know what information is, well, can you tell me why why the, the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths, as it was called at that particular time? So, what's the answer? Well. That so we'd know that those gener- that all the generations would know that he made the people dwell in tents in booths. That's it. But it's got to be deeper than that, right? I mean, that's just a, that's just an A, B, C or D answer. You know, and this was something that if it was on a test, it need to be a discussion question. Um, and so I got to thinking about this. So what's the point of knowing that? You know. Well, after the tribes, they lived in, in Egypt for 400 years. I think by, the, by that time, they lived in permanent dwellings. And so here, they, God delivers these people. And for 40 years, they wander around in the desert and live in tents. Well, it's interesting because God promised them an inheritance, a land. A land called Canaan, which is called the Promised Land, because it was a promise. And um, these were the pe- these were the heirs of the promise, but they hadn't inherited it yet. They stayed in they stayed in the wilderness those forty years. Now, once a year, they were supposed to do this as a reminder. The thing is, um, God in this story that He told. Was trying to tie them back to learn the faith of Abraham. Abraham was a sojourner. Well, I'm having some competition here. Aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, if we could understand what they're saying, it might be a better message. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all right, kids. <laughs> this too will pass. She called it a fun day. That's right. <laughs> Sounds like it's fun for her, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you might have to edit this particular message here. <laughs> it's every time they pop a balloon. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> oh, okay. They, start, they get scared. Okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Anyway, so um, Abraham was a sojourner just like these people. That's kind of the theme. We're, lo- we're looking at two things. We're looking at the theme of being a sojourner. the place of water in in living before the Lord and so um, Abraham was the same thing he was told to leave his country and his relatives and go to a place that he'd be shown and so Abraham becomes a sojourner which is a person that stays somewhere for a while if you look up what the definition a sojourner is someone who some, some definitions say stay for a day well if you're days the same day as the Lord then maybe that works but somewhere where you stay for a while and so that was the life of Abraham that's what he left he he, he came to this land and he wandered in the land and he, he, he moved from place to place but he lived in <coughs> and every day he depended on God to show him where the land was you know and so he walked in this place of dependence with God and the 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 children that were in Egypt, they didn't have to depend on God. They wished for God. They worked, but they had houses. They got to go home and and stay in their homes. But when they got to the the wilderness, they were sojourners again. They were on the move. They were and they were going to stay there for a while until they inherited the promised land. And so. The Lord was trying to teach them the same kind of dependence that Abraham had, had the, the father of our faith. And so it's really interesting to see how there's more than just realizing that, hey, they stayed in tents. That's what the purpose was for. And it's true of, of our walk. We have to be learn to develop a dependence on God in our walk today. Um, if you look forward from Abraham to this time that this particular feast was given to, to Ezra and Nehemiah's time, um, during that time when they were rebuilding the, the wall of Jerusalem, those people that came back had been sojourners. They'd been captured for a, a, a period of time. And then they, was, <coughs> they found the, the book. And this is what it says in the book. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses <coughs> that children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feasts of the seventh month, the Feast of Tabernacles, and they should fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written. That's in Nehemiah eight, fourteen, and 15. So they found this. And so it goes on and says this. So the people went forth and made booths and sat under the booths for since the days of (coughs) Joshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. So God gave them something to do to remember and it had not been done since the days of Joshua. Basically since almost the time that it had been commanded. The feast had never been nationally observed in the correct manner since the days of Joshua. And now these people decided that they wanted to do this. They wanted to do and they so looked forward to it it became it, it, it did become something that got became observed. And although it wasn't commanded they added they added a, what we would call a tradition to this called the water pouring ceremony. And they, they thought, well, you know, what are some other things we can do during this week? And so they thought, well, you know, those those children of Israel, God gave them water from a rock. We need to remember that. And so they began this uh, this traditional ceremony during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, where they would go to the Pool of Siloam, they'd get water, they'd come back to the temple, and they would pour this water on the altar. And it was a and, and it was a, a great time of re- remembering. That God had provided water for them in the desert. And that water came from a rock. Um, And so, let me just read a little bit about how that ceremony is done. It says, when the holy temple stood, every sacrifice included wine levations poured over the altar. But on Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles... Water was also poured over the altar in a special ceremony. The ritual engendered such joy that it was celebrated with music, dancing, and singing all night long. Every morning of Sukkot, every morning of every day during the seven days at daybreak, a group of Levites and priests went down to the pool and they drew out water, fresh water, to be poured on the altar in the daily morning sacrifice. And so as a time of great joy, and then what the Jewish writers say about this time, they they explain that the water celebration signified a joy caused by a connection to God so deep and so true that like water, it has no describable taste, and like water, it sustains all life. And so they added the ceremony, and this ceremony took place at, even up into Jesus time and so here we have God giving a feast of tabernacles as a, one of these times where these people are to come together and it's to be a time of joy and a time of thanksgiving and it's a time of remembering this wilderness trip and not only just that it's an information oh they had a wilderness trip and and, um, they, and they had to live in tents it was to remember the reason God took them and made them do that it was to bring them into a place of dependence upon God. The same kind of faith that He developed in Abraham, He desired to develop in His people. Um, it was a time during the water pouring celebration to remember that God provided the water that sustained their life, even in their rebellion. Uh, he brought it from a rock. And it was a time to, to thank them, to thank God for the provision for this year. This feast is the last feast that happened after all the crops were in. Um, it's really interesting because uh, all my cousins are farmers down east and uh, close to Elizabeth City. And so when we go down for the Thanksgiving, they're not doing any work anymore for the rest of the year. It's all done. They might put some oil on the equipment and turn a few bolts, but they're through. Mm -hmm. You know, all the crops are in. And so it's a time of thanksgiving, a time of rest, and a time of rejoicing, um, you know, that all the concessions are over (laughs) with, you know. Mm -hmm. That work is done. It's it's time to thank God for what he's done for the year. And so, you know, what has that got to do with us? We're not native-born. Israelites, so we're not required to do this booth thing, you know, to build this thing really quick and live in it, or at least have meals in it for a week. And so, you know, I got to thinking about it. It's there as a pointer. You know, God's trying to teach, show us and teach us something about Himself and about walking before Him and about this story that He's telling. And so, if we look at it this way, they were sojourners, and so are we. You know, we must come to recognize that we're just here for a while. We're spending some time here. Um, and that our citizenship and our inheritance is in another place. You know, it's been promised. That you've all got something within you that bear witnesses of that promise. But we haven't received it yet. We've received, uh, we've received the promise of it, you know. We're heirs but not in, inheritor, inheritors yet. And we're dependent upon God's grace here. These are the things we should know about it. And believe it or not, we do live in booths. We live in a tent. And this is a this is a, a Moffat translation of, of something that Peter said. But when he was getting old and he knew his time was coming, in Second Peter um, 1, 13 and 14... It says this: I know my tent must be folded up very soon, as indeed our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. And so this tent is going to be folded up one day. We're here for a while, and you know, none of us know how long that while is. You know, and all of it, all of us in our life, we've been and we've stayed a, a while in different places. Maybe a few of you have lived in the same place all your life, but most of us haven't. And um, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. Mm -hmm. A house, not a tent, a house Mm -hmm. not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Mm -hmm. So, We need to recognize that. You know, we're kind of just living out the same thing now in a sense. You know? And then there's the the thing that was a tradition that the amazing thing about God, He seizes opportunity and He always says things at the right time. So, this water that gives life, this ceremony that God instituted as tradition and, and, and moved forward until the time of Jesus, um, what, what is it that um, happened? If you read John 7, if you go to John 7 and you look at the verses 37 through 39, um, the setting for that is the, is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. They're all assembled together. Every day they, they, they do what they're supposed to do. Every morning they have this water drawing ceremony and then we read this in, in verse 37, John 7, 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Mm-hmm. So here they are bringing the water from the pool of Siloam. They bring it to the temple. Golden jar. He raises it high. He pours it on the altar. And many commentators think that's when Jesus stood up and said this. Mm -hmm. We don't know exactly when it is. But I know God is a God of perfect timing. Mm -hmm. And he would say what needs to be said to get the most impact out of it. Mm -hmm. Now, an argument went on after this. It's like it went over their heads, just like everything goes over our heads, <laughs> it seems like, the first time you know, we walk through it or, or, or we're told about it. But Jesus stood up and declared this at this very time. It's really interesting to read this stuff uh, and just appreciate. Um, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I read said that on the altar there were two holes in the altar, one for the wine and one for one that one special smaller hole for this water that was used just during this this particular ceremony, and the holes were different sizes because of the different consistency of wine and water, so that they would both flow out at the same rate. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that means. Of course, when I read it, I was thinking about Jesus' side being pierced and mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and water and blood flowing out, but. That's just a Preston commentary. So, you know, it's just amazing though how these little things that people put in their life, God uses them. And Jesus saw this tradition. Well, it wasn't something that was ordained by God, but He capitalized on it. And so, here we have this whole issue of water, and how does that? You know, what are we? To, what are we to glean from this? You know, and, and then you go back and you look at the life of Abraham. Living the life of Abraham, the father of our faith, he had to come to depend on God. He traveled around, you know, living in tents, waiting for the promise, which he never got to really see. But he believed it to the end of his days. He always was waiting for that next time that he encountered God and that God would say something to him. But the other thing about Abraham was most everywhere he went, he dug a well. You know, if you go back and read, you can just you can just Bible uh, search Doug Wells, and it just comes up time after time with with his life, uh, the different places he were. You know, there are different circumstances he had to move for, but when he moved, he dug a well. He didn't know how long he was going to be there, and that well sustained him and his flocks and everything else. And so Jesus comes along. Um, and he's traveling through uh, Samaria and the Samaritan woman comes to this well that's Jacob's well and um, encounters Jesus. And so what happens there? They have this encounter and and she says, you're not greater than Jacob who gave us this well, are you? And Jesus said, well, the, the well of, that I draw from, you'll never thirst from it again. You'll never thirst from it again. Yeah, of course, we know you know she went and told everyone, but uh, that's and where is that well now for you and me? It's inside. Mm-hmm. We, we've got a deposit. We've got a well that goes with us now instead of us having to dig it or anything. And so it's really interesting that um, here we have a well from which flows living water, water that will sustain us. Um, the interesting thing about it is, is sometimes the flow gets stopped up, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And we have to be careful. Mm-hmm. We have to we have to learn to, to see all of God's goodness in His. Things that he provides and the warnings that he gives. and Because in, in Jeremiah, it tells us, Jeremiah warns those people. He says, you've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. You've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for yourselves. Broken cisterns that hold no water. And so, yes, there's a well there, but... There's something that we have to do to guard it, to keep it from getting plugged up, and um, and you know when it does, that's when we get thirsty. Hopefully, we know where to go. You know, we look to other things to satisfy us when when we have to go to the the fount, the fountainhead, the source. Mm-hmm. The well is within, but the source is not us. And I think sometimes, you know, we kind of forget that. And so the, the, the message that I really and want to walk through Thanksgiving with for me this year is learning to stay thirsty, but at the same time content. <coughs> because it says, Jesus says, you'll never thirst. But yet we do thirst, don't we? Mm-hmm. Because we stray away from the, we- the, the the source of the well, you know. And there's another thing that makes us thirsty, is you know if you're if you're pouring out if, in ministry, you know, if we're giving to people, if we're giving time, love, care, and ear for understanding or whatever it is, um, that's a faith move. That there's enough for us. And enough for other people. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's a step of faith. Can I can I can I invest this? Can I do this? Or is is it gonna deplete me? Mm -hmm. And if I get depleted, is something gonna fill me back up? And I don't know about you, but I found I always get filled back up Mm -hmm. when I go back to the source. That's right. And so I just I just encourage you, you know. Mm It seems to me there's this, this tension between staying thirsty um, because you're giving out and being content because you're receiving from God. And, and I think that's, that's Jesus' invitation, you know. If you're thirsty, come to me. Come to me. I'll fill you up. And, and so we have to pattern our life like Jesus. He went away to a lonely place. He ebbed and flowed. From spending time with the father, and then engaging the world. Spending time with the father and engaging the world. And so, uh, we all know this, doesn't? It doesn't hurt for us to hear it again and again. So, the Lord be with us as we go through this time, and uh, just to encourage you to stay thirsty, Mary.